This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Two of the biggest toy makers in history are making interesting changes to their product lines in the coming weeks. Mattel, maker of the Barbie doll, is going to add different versions of the doll, including curvy, petite, and tall, to try and address an issue it may have with connecting with young girls. Also, Lego will be releasing a minifigure that releases a wheelchair. Obviously, there is an economic element to this, but it isn't obviously the entire story. Dr. Rebecca Haynes is a professor of advertising and media studies at Salem State University up in Massachusetts. She joins us on the phone right now in the studio. Our friend, Americus Reed, Wharton marketing professor, also here. Rebecca, thank you very much for joining us. So glad to be here today. Thank you. Americus, as always. Thank you very much, sir. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you. Rebecca, just as this story has kind of developed, especially on the the Barbie side of things in the last few days, uh, I think a lot of people in America were saying this before. It's like, okay, well, why hadn't this happened before? You know, I think that we're at a really interesting cultural point in which social media has given consumers such a strong voice that they are being heard by brands and by decision makers in a way that is really unprecedented historically. So there's been this groundswell of grassroots campaigning from independent parents, organizations, just calling for some changes to make children's toys healthier, less stereotypical. And we're finally seeing that there's some fruit to those efforts. But the interesting thing is that people have complained for decades. Oh, they sure have. And it's just now with the social media kind of element that maybe that that pressure is being felt to a level where they say, okay, enough's enough. Yeah, you know, people who are strong social media users can independently gather gather their own followings and those followings will amplify their voices to really compete with the voices of the manufacturers and the brands that typically have pushed back and say, no, 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 this is fine. You can't ignore that much activism online. It it really becomes news itself and gets reported on by mainstream publications Mm -hmm. and takes on a life of its own in a way that it couldn't maybe 10 years ago. What was your reaction to this when it started to pop out, Mary? Yeah, it was very surprising in some senses because I had a similar reaction as you did, Dan, which is, wow, uh, yeah, it's about time for this to happen. Uh, I think that, and I was, you know, racking my brain earlier this morning trying to come up with uh, some kind of business case or even a a moral case or any case that would argue against doing this, and I really couldn't come up with anything. Is it surprising, though, uh, that that as many things, though, as we have wrong— with this world right now, that that obviously this is this is something that's very important to a lot of people, not just here in the United States, but around the globe, mm-hmm. and it's it's as important an issue as any other issue that we have going on today. Yeah, I think Rebecca makes a great point. I mean, this amplification on social media of these issues make them feel it basically gives parity to everything because yeah. uh, the voice is loud the, and, and amplified. It spreads very quickly, and I think companies are faced with the challenge of understanding. What should I listen to? What should I not listen to in terms of changing my business model, my economic practices, et cetera? 
But part of that, Rebecca, also has to be uh, not only the reaction from the consumer, but it has to be the mindset of, of the corporate, you know, the CEO, the C-suite, the whole nine yards there in order to want to make that change in the first place. That's right. And what is also playing into this recent decision on Mattel's side is that Barbie sales have been dropping every quarter since 2012. And in the last reported quarter, Barbie was down 14%. So if people are voting with their dollars and turning their attentions to other brands that they perceive as being better for girls, they have to make a change. I think it really, the combination of the social media outcry and the numbers not lying forced their hand. How much of the sales number that Rebecca mentioned, uh, Americus, is specifically not, you think, not reaching the consumer? And how much of it is also, there are obviously a lot of other options, digital options yes. for kids yes. that seemingly this generation is more tied to than yeah. the actual physical doll and you know all the sundry items that come with the doll. I, I think that's a great point, Dan. I think that it's hard to disentangle the reasons why these numbers may be dropping so much for uh, for Barbie. Uh, I think what's interesting about it is, to your point, though, that, and this is a question for Rebecca, uh, to what extent uh, do sort of strategies like this appear to be more desperate attempts at marketing gimmicks at the 11th hour, uh, <laughs> for example, uh, when they are coming around correlated with sales dropping and things of that nature? Don't you want to make these changes when things are good? You know, it does seem a little desperate to me, especially considering that in 2012 and 2014, we saw independent brands launch dolls that honestly, at a glance, look very similar to me, to the Petite Barbie. That's the Lottie doll that's now sold in 30 countries. And the Lamely doll that was a crowdfunding success in 2014. Bar- Mattel is late to the game. Mm-hmm. These dolls yeah. have already been put out there by people risking their own money, mm-hmm. risking their own everything to make a change that they feel is important and proving. They did. They kind of did the hard work for them and proving that there's a market for it. So well, <laughs> you'd, you'd rather be the front runner, you know? Then, then your reaction then also to the decision by Lego to add... Uh, a, a wheelchair figure to to some of its sets, which is interesting because you know that's something that obviously again it's been part of, of our you know our generation for you know our I should say our public for a long time. Yet Lego decided to make this move. Yeah, you know what's interesting to me about Lego and the wheelchair is, in a way, when it comes to representing disability, it. If you're using a wheelchair, it's not actually requiring major changes to your manufacturing, right? You're mm-hmm. adding a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So it's wonderful, but I also think that's why Barbie's been getting more attention. Not that it should be a zero-sum game, and I think both areas of representation of, of um, body image for, for women and of diversity in terms of ability are very important. But there's something that just seems more monumental about seeing a doll that is called Barbie that isn't like the extremely thin, extremely buxom figure that we see as an icon culturally. Could this also, and and I just thought of this off the top of my head, and and Lego being a European company Mm. compared to Mattel being an American company and the perceptions that, that are... Here in the United States, compared to what may be in in other parts of the world, could that even be a little bit of a factor of of kind of the the overall viewpoint of these companies and the types of products they have made over the last forty fifty years, Rebecca? Well, that's an interesting question. If I've looked at you know who's in charge at Lego and 
it, I think being a European country, it is a lot of white men who are the leadership there. Okay. And Lego has actually surpassed Mattel in the last statistics that I looked at in terms of um, their sales to kids. But they have serious gender issues as well. Their gender representation has gotten a lot of criticism, similar amounts of pushback, I think, to what Barbie has gotten on social media in recent years. And so I'm not sure that I would say, oh, they're European and maybe they've got a little bit more liberalism going on. What do you think, America? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I was having a conversation with some friends of mine and their children, and they were talking about some of the the Lego toys that they were buying for both boys and girls, little girls in the household. And I think that it's interesting to think about, you know, those stereotypes uh, and how they may link to how these products are framed or or positioned to kids. Uh, At the end of the day, I think that, what is really interesting about the Barbie case is that you really have kind of this underlying body image thing going yeah. on uh, that I think is a bit more perhaps prominent, let's say. Not sure. not any less important, but certainly discussed a lot more. I was thinking about, for example, the, the Real Dove, Real Beauty campaign and sort of sure. all of these yeah. attempts to try to make things more realistic so so young kids can identify with the toys. And presumably there's an assumption there that you know, you, you're attracted to the toy because you it, it relates to you, it speaks to you, it, you can connect with it, and so on. And so I think that's an important point that underlies all of this. We're talking with America Street of the Wharton School and also Dr. Rebecca Haynes of uh, Salem State University. We're talking about the changes that Barbie's uh, that Barbie and Lego are going to be uh, adding to uh, their line of products uh, in the coming months. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. These changes, where are you on them? Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I guess the other interesting kind of playing off what America said, Rebecca, is the fact that that, that Lego over the last five years, part, mostly because of the partnerships that they have lined up with companies like Disney and, and, and the like, have just exploded sales-wise. So them making this move, whether it's perception or not, is probably seen more of as, yes, they're reacting to something they may have missed within culture, whereas compared to Barbie, that we just mentioned, that there is seemingly a monetary tie-in here because of how their sales have have gone south the last few years. I do think that may be the case. Um, And what's interesting to remember about the Barbies that I think a lot of people have been missing as I've seen this conversed about The Barbie body types are only going to be in one Barbie line, the Fashionistas line. Mm. So not only are they a little late to the party, but they're not going all in. They're just trying it out on one particular line. We're not going to be seeing curvy princesses curvy rock stars. It's only the fashion and appearance-oriented dolls called Mm. Fashionistas. It's not the ones that come in president outfits or astronaut outfits. Oh, wow. So they're just dipping their toe into the water, so to speak. That's right. It's really just, they're just testing it out, and I think they're going to see what their reaction is and decide whether to roll it out to their other lines or not. Which is interesting because from from Marker's perspective, a, a lot of people obviously do that with products. They want to test, sure. test yeah. drive them. Yep. But in a situation like this, where it's already gotten the publicity that it has... Right realistically, that point, Rebecca, that you just mentioned hasn't gotten a lot of PR to this point. Right. And certainly when it does... Now it has. And it, and it will even more. Right. Then, then they're going to really get blowback. Yeah. I think so. I, I, I'm already seeing a little bit of blowback online. Some of the interesting critiques I've read are, for example, 
this curvy Barbie is mm-hmm. really not like a plus-sized woman. Mm-hmm. It's more like a plus-size model, which mm-hmm. we know is actually more of an average woman. And, you know, when it comes down to it, Barbie is in a bit of a pickle because it is such an appearance-oriented brand that if you're trying to address body image with a brand that is saying appearance is really important and when it comes to body image we're trying to raise girls to feel that appearance isn't the most central part of their identities Ah, it's a little, I don't know, it's a paradox, right? It's a bit of a mixed message of sorts, right, Rebecca? I think so. Yeah. Uh, How do you think this plays out, these decisions play out with with other toy makers, Rebecca? Well, I do think that other toy makers will be watching and interested to see what their sales are like, see if this gives them an uptick and helps their, you know, sort of downward spiral. Um, It's definitely a case to watch. I I really do hope that the parents that are committed to seeing more expanded range of body types, you know, on the one hand, I really do hope they vote with their dollars and Mm. and go and buy some of these toys. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I'm actually a little bit worried that the retailers that make the ultimate decision of what items to stock on the shelves Mm -hmm. might leave curvy Barbie at at Uh. Mattel headquarters (laughs) and not even have her on the shelves for people to buy on the spur of the moment. Mm -hmm. So it... It's so complicated. But I wonder, though, that because of, and going back to the publicity aspect of this, is that if somebody has knows that these dolls are going to be produced and are going to be out there, and they go to their stores to try and find them, and they don't, mm-hmm. that's going to blow back on the individual store right. itself. So you've even got that aspect of it yeah. as well, America. There's a big part of demand going on here. I, this is a dangerous game, though, to play, because you know if you're trying to test it out, see, trying to find that sweet spot where... You know, this kind of demand will pick up versus not. And to Rebecca's point about getting perceived is not going all in, which, of course, is going to be signaling to folks that perhaps this is not a part of what's an important message for you as an organization. It also speaks uh, the change, but just in general, to a little bit of what I'm guessing you've probably seen with with companies in general that do advertising on TV mm-hmm. and the advertisements that they do on TV and and the changes that they've made to show inclusion and diversity in those avenues as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. The other point of tension that you're sort of inferring or or sort of uh, touching on as well, Dan, is this idea of you know, kind of advertisement. And some There is a view out there that advertising is meant to be kind of aspirational and in some sure, ways... Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. fantasy and like, yeah, so that's some, what I want when I grow up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I don't know where the where that fine line is between, you know, manipulation versus just trying to be more inclusive and more reflective of a more diverse uh, kind of audience. Rebecca? Yeah, you know, I think that the aspirational point America's raises is excellent and is an important thing to bear in mind between Lego and Barbie as we if we wanted to circle back to that comparison. Yeah. I think Barbie is seen as an aspirational figure. You want the sort of freedom and fun and beauty that comes with Barbie. I don't know that any kid wants to be a Lego. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. My son, my son's six, and he'd he, he like to be a lot of the characters that are Legos. But yes, uh, yeah. I, I see what you mean. That's a fair right. point. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think what's interesting also, Rebecca, to get some, you know, your reactions to this as well is tell, talk a little bit about how this can go too far. So in some senses, you know, you want to be you want to be responsive to a marketplace. Mm-hmm. You want to be in some senses politically correct, but not for, just for the sake of being politically correct, but because using the right sorts of language and imagery presumably allows you to communicate better with your audience. 
But there is this idea out there that, you know, it, you know, it goes, when, when you highlight these differences, in some senses, it could be perceived by individuals in those groups as being, listen, I just want to be treated like everybody else. I don't want to be singled out. Yeah. You know, all of these different things. I was reading online this notion of, and I just realized this, you know, uh, where uh, this one particular author was saying, you know, it's bad to refer to persons with disabilities as individuals such as handicapable or mm. differently abled yeah. or physically challenged. It's like, listen, I just don't pander to me. Just, I just want to be treated, you know, like everybody else. So, yeah. at, so how does that strategy fit into the decisions to create these kinds of advertising images? What are your thoughts, Rebecca? My thought is companies that are trying to do this do have to proceed very carefully because consumers are so savvy nowadays. Um, there's an understanding that some brands engage in what we would call good washing, trying to make their brand look better in a marketing effort, not out of a sincerity, not out of a sense that, oh, yeah, we really want to yeah. be inclusive from the bottom of our hearts. Mm -hmm. um, so when brands are making these moves, I think it is important to it, – it's a tricky thing because you don't want to – end up making the wrong decision and lose market share. Mm -hmm. But it is kind of important to make it seem like you're as all in as possible mm -hmm. and that you're doing it for the right reasons, that you're not reacting to losing sales, but that you're saying, you know what? No, we, we realize we were wrong. And that actually, personally, I would like to see someone from Mattel mm. come out and address the comments they made in 2014 that went viral uh. for a bit. There were, they were saying... The body image problems aren't from our dolls. It's moms and peers that give Ooh. girls bad body images. They were saying that in interviews. Wow. But that was before they had a big shakeup. They brought in new management, new mm -hmm. leadership from, for Barbie. Yeah, but maybe they could kind of address that. Yeah, mm, but e even, though, even though you have a, a change in management, when that, when that statement is made from a company... Wow! Doesn't I, I don't even think it matters so much who actually physically said it. That's right. The consumer is going to tie that to the company. That's right. They're not gonna they're not gonna link that to the CFO or the CEO or whoever that that's is. Right. And that's a hard that's a hard thing to break once it's happened. It, once it's out there, once it's been breathed into the universe, yeah. it's out there. And and as Rebecca's saying, social media can pick it up and and give it its own life, which yeah. is really really interesting. I was thinking about kind of the the remarks by the head of Lululemon would basically say. At sure. some point, you know, well, our clothes aren't for everybody. You know, yeah, they said some women's bodies were wrong. <laughs> yeah, their thighs rubbed together. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's a bad idea. It, it does make you wonder sometimes, and I'm saying this jokingly, Rebecca, is the fact that you know sometimes I I think that CEOs and you know the people in the C-suite. They need to go back to school yeah. and take a PR class. That's right. And, and remember, what are the things that are probably, yeah. it's almost like the George Carlin, you know, seven yeah. dirty words. <laughs> right. Well, there's got to be the seven dirty words of being a CEO That's and right. a lot of them to your, to your consumers. That's right. right. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of work to do. And, and I honestly hope that, um, you know, these CEOs, and I'm thinking again, the, actually the Lululemon example is an excellent one, Americus. I felt like, what was his name? Was it Chip Wilson? I that, think so, yeah. That yeah. guy, that, he needed to right. have some heart-to-hearts with people who were actually aware right. Right. of the issues and how a body image um, plays out in people's lives and just how hurtful his words were because even his apology was so, right. like, it wasn't <laughs> sincere at all, and right. I think the yeah. apology made it worse. Mm -hmm. the, the interesting thing, I guess, Rebecca, is the fact, as you, as you alluded to, since the fact that, that, that Mattel is just kind of testing this, 
and, and we've talked about obviously there is there's got to be some sort of economic element to this whole story is the fact that this is something that is not going to severely impact their bottom line mm. by the fact that they're making these changes in such a small manner at this point. Right. I, I don't think so, although I'm certain that they are going to be crunching the numbers and looking at the data very carefully to see what this does for that fashionista's line and then extrapolating from there mm. to see what else they can do, which, again, suggests that this isn't a, we have to make this change, it's the right thing to do. It's, let's see what happens if we make this change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Also, I want to get your thoughts, Rebecca, on the following point, because uh, I think it's, a, it's an advisement point for companies and, and those individuals in the C-suite who you know need to make these kinds of decisions and that is how do you what advice would you give for those strategists to do it in the most authentic way possible so for example would would it be would it be seen as more credible if you somehow allow that that message to come out not from you but from others so in other mm-hmm. words you know we're doing business as usual and then some some folks pick up that we're doing some of these other things and then they sort of shout from the mountaintops as opposed to you know you having an internal pr uh, approach to try to get your message around these different things that you're doing you know mattel has actually done some of that i know that last year i forget what the hashtag was but they actually hired some bloggers mm. who were sort of pro girl empowerment to be their mouthpieces and you could see the fine print at the bottom that said this was a sponsored post by Mattel, but they kept buying their way. They, and they do that. They buy their way into these spaces, right? At one point, I think in 2010, they sponsored Take Our Daughters and Sons to Work Day, which Ms. Magazine called out as seeming so hypocritical. Um, last year, the Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood called them out for basically buying into the Girl Scouts. So, <laughs> which they did. I mean, they like. I think they they were they had some sponsorship with the Girl Scouts, and people were saying Girl Scouts is a non-commercial space. Barbie has no place in the Girl Scouts. Right. Mm-hmm. But Mattel really wanted to have this relationship, and so I think the big question is how do they do things in a way that people are authentically, organically, without being paid, yeah. mm-hmm. saying I am for Barbie, and I think this is a great change. They've they've got a tough mountain to climb on this one because they've got decades of criticism that they ignored. But even Lego kind of understood that that they needed to make a change at some point. Actually, it's funny because a friend of mine sent me a picture uh, that I'm looking at I'm on my computer here in the studio, Rebecca, and, and America see it as well. It's got to be an ad from like about 1974, <laughs> 75 mm-hmm. of Lego, of a little girl, red-haired girl, who's building Legos. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, you know, Lego has made the decision, and, and you know, probably smartly uh, mm-hmm. in doing so, mm-hmm. is that they've started to have lines now mm-hmm. where... You know, they've always been, you know, kind of seen as a, a boy's toy, mm-hmm. but they now have Legos that are really even more geared for girls as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, a, a lot of people have been sharing that original ad from the 1970s, right? The little girl, she's holding up yep. this creation. It says what it is is beautiful. Yep. Yep. And she's not wearing pink. She's, <laughs> you know, she's not all dolled up. She is just a kid. She's right? in overalls. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, it's tricky because... What Lego did, and I actually explained this in a recent article I wrote for the Boston Globe magazine, what Lego did through the 1980s was they started targeting boys, and they had Zach the Lego Maniac, if anyone remembers that ad. Sure, yeah. And they started licensing really um, boy-dominated lines, right? So you see the Star Wars, Mm, you see the, the DC Comics, the Marvel Comics characters. 
and they kind of forgot about girls. They, mm-hmm. they deviated from that original, wonderful 1970s message of it's for everyone and it's beautiful no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. And now they are trying to recover from that. But instead of adding more girl figures to the quote-unquote boy line, mm-hmm. they have introduced girl lines. So it's a separation and a segmentation rather than an embrace. And there are a Mm. lot of people who are concerned about the message that's sending Mm. of, well, these 10% of Legos are for girls and the other 90% are for boys. We've got to bring everyone back together to the same table and maybe stop marketing your your segmented audiences as like the sort of lowest common denominator of gender. How about interest yep. or passion uh, or some excellent. other marker? Mm-hmm. But you think that the, this move by by Mattel, if they just kind of dip their toe in the water here and they don't go forward with it, seemingly it, it it can lose on a lot of fronts. They're taking a risk, and you know, you, I think you have to actually commend them for taking the risk and mm-hmm. being so boldly public about it that they've even got the time cover story that was written by a journalist who it felt like she was embedded there. Um, But they're kind of in a very, very precarious situation, right? Because they're taking a risk to try to do something that would be seen as the right thing. But are they sincere about it? Um, How big a risk is it really when it's one line out of, I don't know, what are there, two dozen Barbie lines now? Something like that, yeah. It's not a big risk. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.